why hello there and happy new year. Though I'm a bit late in my well wishes, I hope you had a wonderful time off in December and even enjoyed that little bit longer than usual in the first week of January. I know I did for sure. As always, thanks for joining me here on the Tuneful, Beatful, Artful Music Teacher podcast, where we talk a lot about the work, philosophy, resources, and programs of Dr. John Feyerabend, and where we also talk, real talk, about what it's like to be a music teacher. And speaking of that, on today's Keeping It Real segment, I'm introducing something I just made up called Control Freak Series. And in the first of the series, I want to talk about how I kind of don't handle it well when I have a class of kids who are constantly blurting out or interrupting me or talking to each other as I'm talking. I don't know how much of it is me getting older and crankier or my concerns about my voice because I'm kind of propelled to repeat myself a lot or talk over their talking, but it really gets to me. The funniest part of this and the part you can't tell my students is how much of a hypocrite I am since I am the number one transgressor of talking too much whenever I'm sitting in a faculty meeting. But let's not get hung up on technicalities. We're talking about them, not me. This year, I'm really trying to mitigate against how grumpy I get when this happens. But boy, like so many things, it is hard. I've always been aware that I'm a pretty controlling person. But lately, I've been bowled over by how much it bothers me. I think it does have something to do with what I mentioned before, my voice problems, because having to stop and correct something uh, can bring extra tension to the mechanism. But if I'm honest, it happened long before I started having vocal fatigue. And then I start to think, maybe it's good that I'm like this. And I think a little bit of it is good. But more and more, I'm starting to think that I need to, as they say in the song that shall not be named, let it go. I know that I'll never be that teacher who's okay with letting kids talk a lot whenever they feel like it or even more than I would feel comfortable with, but I am trying lately to not be as reactive in the moment and not be offended, which I know is silly. Uh, Why can't I just be a nicer person? But that's for a different podcast. Anyway, how do you handle it when you're trying to talk or sing and One kid yells something out as you're doing this, and then a few kids start talking to that kid and to each other, and you're pretty much derailed, or a little derailed if there's such a thing. Do you ignore it? Do you address it then and there? I'm curious what you do as I try to tweak my own practice. I'll let you know how it goes. Have you heard the phrase conversational solfege upper levels, but not really known exactly what it meant? Well, fret not. I'm here to break it down for you. I'm going to talk about this a little more after the interview, but basically upper levels is comprised of conversational solfege levels three and the upcoming conversational solfege book four, as well as the also soon to debut harmony and improvisation book. Dr. F. poured his heart and soul into this recent revision of book three that you'll hear me proudly refer to as the yellow book. In this two-part series of the podcast, John talks about what led him to make the revision, what's included in the revision, as well as what happens and what kids are learning as they progress from levels one and two into these upper levels of conversational solfege. Let's listen to the discussion we had 
and pay attention for a special guest appearance from our editor and my husband, Jeremy Strong, who was there while we were recording and responded to something John brought up when he was talking about American versus European music. So um, we're here with Dr. Fireoven. Dr. Fireoven, as always, thank you so much for being willing to do this and um, for taking the time out. And I, I extend that back to you as well, because you had to take the trip up here from New Jersey. And... <laughs> I did say that, like, um, I could do without the traffic through oh, New bet. York, but it's worth it. It's always worth it once I get through that traffic. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for <laughs> so allowing this to happen. You're welcome. I'm very excited. And I uh, was recording with your lovely and wonderful wife and saying, I think 50% of the reason I love this podcast is for me, <laughs> because every time, no joke, every time I sit down with somebody... When I sat down, you know, with Lindsay, with Leslie, with, you know, with Andy Heimlich, these teacher trainers that we have who are amazing, I always am taking something away, you know, which just shows you how much there's just always learning to be done. Each one has strengths, and I think they bring their strengths to this, and we learn from each one of them. Yeah, and I love that now I'm able to reference things that, you know, different people say and give credit to them, which is really nice. I like that, And I like, I stole this. I always say, I respectfully stolen from Betsy Green, you know? Um, So thank you for doing this. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about upper levels because I, first of all, do not know a ton about upper levels. Me personally, uh, people always ask, when are you going to do your teacher training for upper levels? I'm not going to do it. It's just not my jam. It's not really for elementary school. Exactly. And I don't, I don't have that compulsion to do that. Uh, You are going to start doing teacher training Right in the future for upper levels. Yes, we're going to accept people starting next summer. Yeah, we'll so accept teacher trainers. Good for the news training. right off the bat is more upper levels certification courses will be coming in the next couple years. Yes, right. Uh, yes, we only ever did them with the two Kodai programs, Silver Lake College and Hart. But last year, Sandy Dineski organized one at her school during the school year. Gordon at Gordon College. And it worked nicely, and we had a good interest. And so this fall, we're going to try to do one as well in Princeton, but it's still in the development stages. And this is the kind of differential here is with the other two programs, you have to be ready. You have to be available for two weeks. Yeah, there's that issue as well. They're part of the Kodai program, and those are two-week-long programs. Right. So now we have this model, which we're trying to get some momentum with, which is, you know, two days in the fall, Two days in the spring, is that accurate? Yeah. Well, kind of? That's how we sort of did it with Gordon College, but this time at Princeton it's going to be two weekends in a row if we do oh, it. Oh, okay. But still, two short bursts. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to these like kind of extended experiences. So, first of all, if you're out there and you're listening and you would be interested in that, me personally, I would like to know that because then I'd know, you know, how interested are people in doing this? Well, and I don't know when this podcast will broadcast. For Will sure. it be done oh, that's true. before <laughs> or after? <laughs> but still, you know, if you're interested, it would be just good to know. There, yeah. you know, I would love to take this, and if it were offered right. in shorter bursts, And I, I think that, that. that uh, you're right. As we accept more teacher trainers, and then they'll, they will also offer level That's what I mean. We're, we're going to have these. I can say, and you'll as we have this discussion, I think our listeners will uh, become more and more aware, this upper levels has um, a different sort of slant to it. Sure. And I think a lot of the people that will be teacher trainers for it uh, will have come through the Kodai program sure. because it's offered as the third level of our Kodai right, training. Right, right, right. And what you get along with that in the Kodai training is three years of personal solfege development. Yeah. And I think that that's almost necessary mm-hmm. to be able to pull off teaching 
upper levels conversational right. soul fish. It's a different beast. You're going to have to be a kick ass soul fisher right. yourself right. Right. to be able to pull this off. So I think that there are, there's going to be certain people that are going to be absolutely perfect for this. Right. And there are going to be others that it's not necessary. It's not your thing. It's not their thing. Yeah. Because in elementary school, you're never, ever going to get right. to right. Mozart concertos, you sure. know. So let's learn the repertoire that's relevant yeah. for elementary school. Sure. And that's the first two classes, yeah. first steps in conversation. And that's what I'm, you know, I'm trying to tell people that, you know, I think everybody should take I think if you can take the upper levels, I, for sure. I agree with that as well. Because it, it was, it's really, first of all, it's really fun. I think if you compare it to other programs, uh, like the Kodai program, uh, the third year upper level Kodai is not for elementary school. Right. And so we require everybody to take it so you have the full picture. Yeah. Why are you doing what you're doing in right. kindergarten? Right. Well, because we're preparing them eight years from now yeah, here's for those that will be going on to the logical end. Absolutely. And Suzuki. If you only knew that Suzuki had book one, you would never be attracted to this method. You right. need to understand and Where have are we going? What book eight is. Right. And then once you understand, oh, well, book eight's going to have these requirements, and I see how that was begun in book one. Right, right. You see more of the importance of book one. And some of the things that if you take a level three, you'll see, oh, we, we actually were preparing some of that in first steps in music. Yeah, which and is And we amazing. were certainly doing that in book two of conversational right, solfege right. with the bass melodies. Okay. So I had all that in my mind where we were going to these upper levels of what needed to be taking place in first steps in music and conversational book one and two to prepare for those upper levels. But still, when you study in the upper level course... Right. you develop that awareness and it it helps you have a different insight into why and what you're teaching mm -hmm. in first steps in conversational because you see where it's leading. Okay. So um, as I often try to do for people who are very new to your work or the philosophy or these approaches, what is upper levels and how does it kind of flow from first steps? Well, part well from first steps, which is just the foundation, that's the repertoire. And a lot of that repertoire will still be showing up in upper levels mm -hmm. because the foundation is to make sure that they can hear music in what I call different colors, the major, minor, Aeolian, Mixolydian, Dorian. Um, and that was planted, those seeds were planted in the repertoire in first steps of music, as were the different meters of uh, groups of twos and threes. And all the rhythms that we will study in upper levels were at some point in some of the songs in first steps of music as well. So the experiential level of rhythmic and melodic understanding took, started in first steps of music. And then those songs will come back for literacy purposes in the upper levels class. So what happens in the upper levels for literacy is a continuation of adding more complex rhythm patterns and more uh, additional tones to give greater variety of intervallic possibilities. Um, so we know we left off with the Do hexachord at the end of book two, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, six note scales. And book three finishes the scale, uh, both by going down to low so, so we have so, and then above that la, t, up to do, and then the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, and then we continue it up to t and high do, and then we have the end of uh, the book goes, songs can have tones above high do and below low so, so I call it extended range. So we've pretty much covered by the end of book three, Conversational Solfege, the entire diatonic scale and the extension of it to all possibilities. Right. Um, also in book three, uh, for the first time, because now we have this low la that will be introduced to them, uh, the concept that songs can end on la um, is going to be new, so minor. Um, 
What's interesting about introducing minor in book three, and people wonder, well, why haven't you done major and minor in book one? Right. Um, and that's a good question. But uh, there, uh, and I have good answers, I think. Um, <laughs> I think you do. We have been doing the sound, what I call the color of minor, um, from baby classes. Uh, the lullabies that we sang to our one-year-olds, half of them were in minor. Not half, many of them were in minor. Uh, in the very first song and first steps in music for, for preschool and beyond is Oh My No More Pie, and right. it's minor. And we have John the Rabbit in minor and uh, Sea Lion in minor. And so we're hearing a lot of minor, and all the way through, um, we are doing minor songs in conversational book one and two. We just aren't looking at the notation for them. So the introduction for notation for minor is not introduced until book three. But the sound of minor has been around it's been there. From, the begin- right. from the first day. Now, when I introduced minor, another interesting thing that will be, it was a revelation to me at some point in my discovery of putting all this together, and I think it will be interesting to other people as well. When I introduce minor, I'm not going to introduce harmonic minor. Um, I know that music learning theory alternates between major and harmonic minor in their tonic and dominant, subdominant functioning patterns. And I think that's all right for instrumental music. But we're in the world of folk music in conversational mm-hmm. solfege. And when you collect folk music, you'll see that there are very few harmonic minor songs in the folk music world. Right. Uh, the ones that I have are primarily Israeli folk songs. Um, so Israeli folk songs have harmonic minor. And you might find another handful of harmonic minor American folk songs, but they're really rare. Mm-hmm. So to say that they're, you know, I often have used the, the phrase literature-driven the conversational selfish is a literature-driven curriculum by frequency of occurrence. Right. So the frequency of occurrence in harmonic minor folk songs is negligible in the United States. Right. And to think that we should have an equal emphasis on harmonic minor and major is not supported sure. by the music of the people. Right. And the minor that is frequent, the minor quality sound that we're used to with the minor third in the scale from one to three, that one to three minor scale happens in aeolian music in American folk music, not harmonic minor. So when I introduce minor in conversational solfege, it's aeolian. And I'm not gonna introduce the raised seventh scale degree for harmonic minor until book four, conversational solfege, which will still be another year or two away. We're uh, we're gonna table that because I'm gonna ask you about that. (laughs) All right, right. we don't need to talk about book four yet. Uh, So book three, uh, has introduces minor, but it, I'm introducing aeolian instead of harmonic minor. Okay. Uh, and there, and if you look back at the minor songs that we've been singing in first steps and conversational solfege book one and two, they were aeolian. Right. They were law based songs, but they were not harmonic minor. Um, and that's a whole nother discussion <laughs> in in the theory of how music evolved. And where did that leading tone for harmonic come come from in the 1600s or just prior to the 1600s? It wasn't even notated. It was just a sound that people liked. And so they added this raised tone at cadences. It was called Musica Ficta. Musica Ficta said at cadences, let's like... Like the Earl of Picardy liked to have in minor songs the third <laughs> right. major on the last note. Well, people like to start having the leading tone raised at cadences in minor Aeolian music. And it wasn't wow. written. It was just done. That's how they practiced. It was performance practice. Mm-hmm. So that was Musica Ficta. To do this raised seventh scale degree. So that's why it's not in the key signature. It's not in the overtone series. It's not really a, a tonality at all. Wow. Harmonic minor is not a tonality. It is a coloration of Aeolian. Aeolian is the tonality. Now wait, you're saying this, and I'm I I don't know much about this. Would what would somebody argue 
with you about well, this. Well, they would say it's a tonality because it has a minor one chord and a major five chord, and it, it does have functional harmony. Right. Uh, but it's not a, let's call it, it's not a natural tonality. Okay. It's a contrived tonality that our ears have become accustomed to. We created that sound in hmm. the late 1500s. It wasn't around. before. That's it's fascinating. Not, it's not a natural sound. It's not in the overtone series. Right. It's, a, it's a fracture of the overtone series. It's a colorful tone. That's why it's not in the key signature. If it was natural, it would have occurred in the circle of fifths in the key signature right. where it would have unearthed. What occurs in the circle of fifths in the key signature is aeolian. And then that colorful tone got added around 1600. Well, folk music is old. Right. And it's not so affected by what the composers were doing because they like the sound right. of the major third on the final chord or the leading <laughs> tone at the cadence. They just were simply doing what was what natural. They just sang. And so the songs that we have inherited in a minor context are aeolian, not hmm. harmonic minor. Okay. Which has its own harmonies. Right. Now, of course, when we go to college, and most of our thinking as elementary music teachers is what we were taught as right. harmony in college. Is. And of course, we all studied the history of Western music by Donald J. Grout, and we did our Ottman books with functional mm-hmm. harmony and tonic and major and harmonic minor because it was not about folk music; it was about composed music. Sure. So we studied the theory of composed music, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it was very limited, and sure. we were, un- were cheated by understanding that there is harmony of the modes as well. And we never studied the harmony of the modes in our harmony classes. We only studied the harmony of major and harmonic minor because that's what composed music uses. And we were cheated. There are other tonalities and they have implied harmonies, which is part of what happens in level three. Let's look at these other tonalities and their implied harmonies. So we started that journey in book two, Conversational Solfege. There the these, orange book. The, the orange For book. For those of us who think in on color. a simple level. <laughs> in visual colors. <laughs> so we had in that book the bass lines, and that was the introduction to the concept of you can choose between do or so to accompany a song, which is outlining that this song can use tonic or dominant harmonies. Right. And then we're going to later talk about how you can add other notes to that tonic and dominant harmony support. So in the first book, book two, the orange book, We only, I only started the journey of songs can be guided by this tonic and dominant support. Right. In book three, I add subdominant support. Right. So there is the possibility that they can add do or so or fa as the chord root. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our, we start their ears hearing the harmony changes of subdominant as well, which is much less frequent in the literature. Back to literature... Uh, based curriculum right. or frequency of occurrence on a literature-based curriculum, there's not much subdominant harmony in comparison to tonic and dominant. Okay. Most songs would have 90% tonic and dominant alterations with a occasional colorful moment in subdominant. And because of that, our ears are not as accustomed to hearing subdominant. So when I'm teaching the baseline melodies, that fa added to the mix, the third tone, do, so, and fa, it's much more difficult to hear when to switch mm. to fa because we're not used to doing right. subdominant nearly as much as we're used to doing tonic and dominant. And then in the Harmony and Improvisation book, which we'll talk about <laughs> later a little bit as well, uh, the same thing. I introduced first from tonic and dominant functions, but as soon as I put that subdominant function in, everybody struggles. Because it's a sound that we don't, it's not as frequent. It's not as common to our ears to function in this less stable harmony, right, subdominant, right. fa to la. Right. It's just floating out there. 
You know, that was another one of the reasons the Fadala thing was, the question had come up, why did I teach do re mi so la right, instead of- without fa? And then I followed up with do re mi fa so without la. Why did I do that? And I remember you, you had made a joke yes. about it because perhaps I forgot right. to include la <laughs> at the second time. But the truth is, do re mi, fa, do re mi so la, the do pentachord, those songs uh, don't really have a particularly strong uh, tonality. If they were real pentatonic songs, they wouldn't have a strong tonality basis. Right. But as you've heard me say probably in the past, America doesn't have true pentatonic right. music. We have songs that use the pentatonic tones. Now, now, let me just stop you and say, I don't know enough about this, but I'm pretty sure this is kind of a controversial thing amongst like pedagogues, no? I don't know. Uh, I learned this. I was this was driven home to me by Kodai's right hand lady, right, Kathleen Forai. Right. But I'm and, saying, like, I've heard, you know, especially maybe, I, and because I'm oh, not yes, an orf yes, yes, person, yes. You're and right. I'm not. Isn't this like the? It's a in my thing Kodai about world. I don't think very many people have differentiated between whether it's a pentatonic song or it's a song that uses the pentatonic tones. Right. And I differentiate between the two. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Well, all right. It's, uh, well, we're back to book two when right. we talk and about that. And that's okay. Uh, so some people book two is an upper level book. All right, so, yes. And so Dori Mi Sola, five tone scale, a pentatone. Um, we have songs that are based on those five tones, but they have a strong reference to Do. Right. Uh, when you finish that song, you are... you. You, they all end on do. Every one of them does. And if they didn't end on do, we would be unhappy. Uh, our ears, because we are Western music, the history of Western music right. is based on resting tone. And we hear according to resting tone. So even though they are pentatonic songs, they are, are use the pentatonic tones, they are not true pentatonic songs. Because true pentatonic songs, as you would hear in Asian companies, right. countries, does not put a stress on the resting tone. It's an entirely different concept. In China, when I'm there, the music begins, you are uh, elevated by the music, you enjoy the deliciousness of the artistry of the music, and when it's over, it lets you stay. There's in like that, a lingering. It, it wants you to still have it. It wants right. that taste to stay in your mouth. Yeah. And it wants you to still be in the mood. Right. So it doesn't end. It ends... Like a whisper, right up there, as opposed someplace. to an American. Like, and an American, <laughs> it's but um bum. It ends on dough. We and are if gonna it slam that dough. <laughs> and you're not happy if it doesn't. Right, exactly. So our ears aren't used to things that don't have a reference to resting tone. Sure. All of our music has a reference to resting tone, hmm. which says that those songs that are do re mi so la songs that have the five pentatonic tones that have a reference to resting tone are not truly pentatonic music. But there are people who are calling those all the time. Yes, I think that that's a limited understanding sure. of what pentatonic but truly is. a common one, it's don't a, you think? Yes, I agree. Right. I think commonly people call those songs pentatonic songs, and they are not. Okay. They, they um, are... This is just me being more... I'm not trying to be challenging. I'm trying to understand because I feel like I hear that a lot from practitioners that it's like... Oh, we start with the pentatone. Oh, we're on the pent, and I'm thinking, I don't know that that's really pentatonic. No, and the issue for that uh, is more is a, is a maybe a whole other podcast. Uh, but the reason why I think it's important for teachers to know this idea of what is pentatonic and what is not is that the Hungarians set up a curriculum because their music was more uh, connected to Asian pentatonic, although it also has a strong resting tone, sure. more oh, la-based than do-based in our country. But the but even Hungarian songs have a sense of but um bum you end on a resting tone. But the concept of true pentatonic and when the methodology was developed was because 
true pentatonic music does not have a resting tone. It would have to be an intervallic um, curriculum. It would be a curriculum where you would study intervals. So so me, that's a third, and right. mi do, that's a third, and do la, that's a third, and do re, that's a second. And you learn to hear the minor thirds and the major thirds right. and the second. And you're and like picking these things The apart. kodai training is very rigorous about being able to recognize intervals. Okay. Because you wouldn't necessarily in pentatonic music have a resting tone for a reference. The mm -hmm. only way to make it through would it's be to, to hear intervals. These to intervals. hear these intervals. Void of resting tone. Uh -huh. But that's not the United States. Right. The United States, every single song has a resting tone. So the, the need to drill all the intervals of pentatonicism, Kachi Forai suggested to me that that was for Hungary. Right, and not it was, for America. It was overdone and misunderstood in the United States. Fascinating. That we should be doing songs that reinforce the resting tone. And from her perspective, one of the statements on the video interview that we can see on the Facebook page, she says, our country then did all this pentatonic, the high do, the low la, the low so. She said, this is not your country, your, your primary tone set, frequency of occurrence. The United States' primary tonality, or tone set, set of tones, is do, re, mi, fa, so, la. So the Do hexachord, starting on Do, going up six notes. She said, this is your primary. And I joked with her because in the Kodai training, you have all these pentatonic intervals and you're told to avoid Fa. Oh, they'll sing out of tune if they sing Fa. And I used to joke, if you sing evil Fa, you'll go to Kodai hell. <laughs> right. Um, and so that was for another country, perhaps. And we inherited that mindset but it's not accurate for our for music. Our and so Kati said to me, you don't need to drill the high do's and the low la's and the low so's and all these intervals in pentatonicism because you have a resting tone and your primary tone set includes fa. Hmm. Avoiding fa was for our country, right. for not countries that were pentatonic. Here. It was not meant, she said, you have fa, you should sing it. Right. It should be in your- Embrace the fa. It, embrace the fa. Wait, there's a t-shirt. <laughs> and then, you know, as I'm talking about harmonic functions and tonalities that are indicative of our culture, major and aeolian, the major uh, tonality centers primarily between, as we see in my book too, tonic and dominant functions. And in tonic and dominant functions, so fa, re, so fa, re is a dominant function, fa, re, re, so fa, or mi, so, do, to tonic. So we hear fa very naturally because right. our songs alternate between tonic and dominant functions, and fa is part of a dominant function. Hmm. So if our songs were truly pentatonic, yes, fa might be an unusual tone. Why are we singing this right. tone that doesn't happen in the music? Seems weird. But fa happens in our music right. constantly, and so to avoid it is a disrespect to um, our right. own music and our language. Music and plus, it's not a complete picture of... It's not. Kodai called it the musical mother tongue. And our musical mother tongue is not the same as Hungary's musical mother tongue. Okay, so our now I'm, I'm going to put you back on the track. Yeah, okay, we got that off. pentatonic. So that's at the end so of in the book, orange book. But in book two, I did the pentatonic first, the five notes, and then I took La away, and I did the other kind of five-note songs, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So. For one, it was easier for children to only have to grapple with five different tones as they try to figure out what's, what's, right. what word, what solfege yep. might I choose from. Right. Well, I only have five choices. That's better yeah. than six choices. So it would be automatically easier to, to, to let La go away for a moment. But an even more important reason why I introduced La in the pentatonic setting and then took it away for Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So was that Fa in that unit only functions in a dominant function. So all the songs, it's either an upper neighbor from me, a lower neighbor from so, a passing tone from me to so, a passing tone from so to me, or it's a so fa re or a re right. fa re, it's a dominant function, or 
in every case, there's nothing implied subdominant. Nothing in that unit is implied mm. subdominant. The next unit then, I bring la back. Right. It's not a new tone. They heard it before, but they've never heard it in relationship to fa. And that's what makes that unit special. Now, for the first time, we're going to have a greater challenge, subdominant, which is harder to hear. Now, let's practice la in a subdominant function. Let's practice fa in a subdominant function. And that is what's unique about unit, uh, unit 12. Right. So I took it out so that I could exercise fa in its most natural, easy to hear setting. Yeah. And then I brought it back in unit 12. Right to give you one more challenge with fa. Now hear it in relationship to la. And I and I I was just saying this to you. I love conversational solfege. I love that um, you know what I think you've done is after much study about how children process music, you just wrote out what it is. You know, here's the 12 steps. And when I see this progression that you've done um, looking at uh, not chapters, <laughs> units 10, 11, 12 I know that what you're doing is building on that progression. Like what you said, it's easier with six notes than it is, or five notes than it is with six. And so the way conversational solfege moves, it's this total spiraling scaffolding. Like we got to build on what we did. Mm. So not only am I teaching you process, I'm adding content that is logical in that process. And the kids get better and better. And now I love what you said. You know, you take this thing away just for a little while so that they can really get established with it. Now we're going to introduce it again, or introduce it here right. in chapter 12, putting law. So that's the almost at the end of book two. Right. So it's two, two uses of fa. Fa in a dominant function and fa in a subdominant function. Wow. I never thought about that like that. That's, that's how it is. So, I'm glad we're doing a podcast. <laughs> I'm sure you've written that many places. No, but. maybe not. Or I haven't articulated it right. quite that clearly. Right. And, and therefore, now we're back to book three. So now that I have The fa, yellow book. The yellow book. <laughs> now that fa has been introduced in both a dominant and a subdominant function, I add in the yellow book the subdominant in the baseline. And we start singing bass lines that include fa because we're now working on this more difficult harmony to hear, subdominant, throughout book three. Are you okay with what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. We're a little off track from upper levels. That's okay. I mean, you can talk about that in a second okay. to get us. Do you want to finish what you were? No, no. I think we're finished with that. Okay. We can go on. To, um, you were asking me about book three, and I haven't finished telling you what was in book three. Right. We got so, off on this little so tangent. So I'll of say that. I'll say that. Um, what else was in book three that you wanted to talk about? Um, it was a cool thing how you're talking about dough. I know he was America. jonesing to talk to you about that. No, no. It was reminding me of cinema. You know how in American cinema there's always a happy ending? Yes. Go. You don't see that in, in European cinema, for example, as much. Well, that's interesting. Right? Yep. Sometimes We're Americans. We like to end they, with... They change, but not in a great way. They just change. Yeah. Like this Umbrellas of Chabro ends like that. Mm. You go, oh, unhappy yeah. ending. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we've talked about all this extra stuff that I made you talk about, took you off track a little bit, let's talk about... Let me ask this question that I wanted to ask, which is I've noticed in the past couple of years when we were working on the fundamentals book together, I don't think that I ever saw you more excited than when you were talking about the new edit of the upper levels. I think it started when we were at Gordon for the conference and you were up on the stage and I said to somebody, I haven't seen him this animated 
you know, you're always, and that's saying something because you're an animated kind of guy. So it was like, he's really excited about this. And to me, as I think over your career so far, I feel like it has to also be something of like, you started, you wanted to teach big kids, right? In the beginning, high school kids, you know, like when you first I did, started teaching. I, my first job. And then it was like, you realize I have to go backwards, 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 backwards. Let's fix the foundation. You got super excited about that. You did great work there. And I feel like you're at the, not the end, but the natural outcome of all the stuff. So you want to talk about why you chose to revise Upper Levels, book three, right? That's book three. Yes. The yellow book. Yes. Go ahead. Well, uh, it is true that my first job was a K-12 job, and I took it because I wanted to be a high school choir director. And while I was there, of course, I realized feeding into the program, my elementary into my middle school, my middle school into my high school, um, was having an enormous effect. And I, of course, had just discovered Kodai at that time as well. And so I was very excited to think I could do this in the elementary school and these children would arrive in high school reading music. Wow, mm. let's do that. So I would also like to say about the same time all that was happening and I finished my Kodai training, I was hired by Sister Lorna now 41 years ago wow. to teach in the Kodai program at Silver Lake College. And I was the solfege teacher not the methods teacher, hmm. for 30 of those years. My job was to teach upper levels every so single funny. summer right. to, co to teachers. So I was the Solfege 1 teacher, and they did my book 1 and 2 pretty much. Right. And then I was the Solfege 2 teacher, and I taught pretty much what is my book 3, 4, and Harmony and Improvisation book. Those books didn't come out of nowhere. They came out of 30 years of developing hmm. those books to use in my Solfege classes. Right. So even though I developed them and I used them and tested them and tried out games and techniques with teachers, I always had in mind, would these teachers be able to do this with students? Right. And I, they would be able to, but they would be students that had a certain level of accomplishment before they would be able to do these sorts of things. Seeing what I was able to get those teachers to do in just a few weeks in the summer, following this curriculum, right. what I'm using in book three and four and the Harmony and Improvisation book, was so exciting to me and it was so exciting to them in this case it wasn't so much of what they saw children doing as what they realized they could do um, a big part of all of this is improvisation and a lot of people are frightened by improvisation mostly because they don't know how to approach it but like most things i'm improvising right now in language sure. and the more language i know the easier it is right. for me and to articulate to my say. ideas and the more i have to say and I believe that it's the same in improvisation. You need to have your tools and your vocabulary to draw upon. It's like uh, movement exploration. You're a creative mover. The better, the more movement ideas you have, the more you yeah. have to pick from to be a creative mover. And the more patterns and melody possibilities you have, the more you have to select from when you start improvising. Um, part of the problem with improvisation is the lack of an instrument. Uh, how do you land on the pitch that you want to land on and how do you know the pitch you're landing on is going to be an appropriate pitch for the harmony that you're that it's underlining your improvisation at this moment and i think solfege gives you those that information if you're using functional syllables the, the i think what i've discovered in the summers teaching those teachers in those solfege classes was that most of them had only approached solfege in a melodic concept and hadn't looked at how the syllables are equally enlightening 
in function in a harmonic context. And the more you start to understand how solfege adds up in harmonic settings, the more you can make choices in impro improvising within those harmonic settings mm -hmm. because the solfege syllables will be giving you clues left and right about what's going to work and what's not going to work in mm -hmm. your improvisation. So watching those teachers all those 30 years get excited about their own personal skills. Right. Um, and then each year I had a chance to, let's try a different thing. Let's tweak that. Let's add a new game. Let's try that. Oh, I found a new song for Aeolian. Oh, let's try it. Oh, this one has a better harmonic progression than that one does. This one gives us more time to dwell on the subdominance. So let's choose that one to practice with first before one we don't have very much time to dwell on subdominant. Um, and so that experience, decades of that kind of experience, uh, I was. I've just been waiting to publish it. Right. I've been dying to say this works. I know it works. I've watched it work again and again right. and again. And I can't wait to put it all in a cohesive way so that others can replicate uh, and hopefully be inspired to ask their students to do the things that I asked them to do as teachers in the class. So the the big push to get that ready was to redo book three. Uh, because book three was done in 1990. Ooh, and, I remember 1990. And yes, <laughs> and a while I, ago. I had about 15 years of solfege teaching by that, by then, but I had another 15 years after that sure. teaching solfege where I continued to explore and develop and right. gather. And by the time last year, two years ago came along, it was clear that they are, I, I could contribute much more. Right. to that book three right. and reorganize it. Here's another thing about book three. Um, some elementary school teachers will find material in there to use in sure. elementary school. Sure. Uh, while I usually say to teachers, if you do conversational book one and two and that's your elementary school curriculum, wow. you pat yourself on the back. <laughs> yeah, and, really. Hallelujah. And <laughs> then sure maybe if they go on to choir or band or orchestra, the teacher at the next level will continue them. Right. Um, although there's another discussion for us to have. Right, right. What about those that did not come through the program and yeah. what do you do? But those that might be able to continue in this um, is really what I was writing this book for. But in reorganizing book three, I was recalling many teachers had asked me about, for example, 16th notes. And I thought, you know, I put that pretty late in book three. I'll make it the very first thing in book three. <laughs> so if a teacher wanted to squeeze that in right, before just... the children left elementary school, right. it's the next thing yeah. in book three. And then three. you could say, I got to I got so, to level three. Look at you me. You could say that. <laughs> and then right after 16th notes, there's another very important thing in book three. Um, and it, 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 I had to wait for the right time to do it. Um, but it's when I introduce all of the other meters at one time. Instead of saying, well, here's a unit on 3-8, and here's a unit right. on 3-4, and here's a unit on 2-2, two, two, and here's a unit on 6-4, I, the, the, I did all of the meters that are grouped in twos in unit 15. Yes. And I did all the meters that are groups of threes. Right. In 17. In 17. 16 and 17. I'm looking at it. 16 That's why and 17. It's That's hard right. to keep track of this. It is. 14, 15, 16, 17. Yes. So in those, uh, the meters. So, you know, up to book one and two, everything's in two, four, and six, eight. Right. And I wanted to be sure that quickly, and maybe before you left elementary school, there would be a way of showing students, and here's how the two, four, and six, eight transfer right. into all the other meters. It, this is how we understand it in two, four. That's and great. here's how it's understood in 2-2 two, two, and in 4-4 four, four, awesome. and in 4-2. Here's what you understand in 6-8. Here's how it's also understood in 3-8 and 3-4 and 6-4. Um, and I think that 
was an important thing to get down Absolutely. on paper and explain to people because um, it keeps the feeling of twos and threes. Uh, a lot of people misunderstand three, four mm -hmm. by thinking it's three quarter notes, but those three quarter notes are not equal. And if you perform them as three equal notes, you have very unmusical pre uh, performances. The three, the three quarter notes in three, four, the first one receives a greater stress. And so when we use the syllables, a teacher without much understanding of functional rhythm syllables might want to call three quarter notes do, do, do. 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 Yeah. But that's not understanding the function of the meter. The meter says, here are three notes that are grouped. And the first one is stressed. So the first note, the stress note in this entire methodology is called do. What? So you call do the stress note. Mm -hmm. But the next two notes are not equally stressed. And so it would be inappropriate to call them do. So instead, it's three notes, do, da, di. And it's very similar to three quarter notes, do, da, di is like three eighth notes in six eight, do, da, di. Just as do, day is two eighth notes in two four time. What? But two quarter notes is do, day in cut time right. or two two time. It's exactly the same logical. It's two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We understand it in, in, in groups of twos and cut time, but no one's ever explained threes in the same concept of right. cut time, but it is the same. Right. And I'd like to take it one step further. It isn't just that one, two, three in three, four are not equal. Two measures of one, two, three are not equal. If you think about a waltz and all those waltzes that Richard Strauss, or sorry, Johann Strauss walt wrote, it's one, two, three, two, two, three, one, two, two, two. And when you waltz, you, you lead with your dominant foot, mm -hmm. dominant two, three, right. subdominant two, or, or secondary foot right. or whatever. The second step in a waltz is less stressed. It's the right. recovery. Right. It's, the, it's not one, two, three. It's one, go, go two, out two, three, come back two, three. Go out two, it's exactly a measure of six, eight hmm. with a primary beat and a secondary beat. Here you go. Do, da, dee, do, da, dee. Do, da, dee, do. There's... Two measures of three, four should be performed if you want to perform them right. musically with the same stress that you perform one measure of six, eight. In fact, teachers probably won't be surprised. So much of what's in book one and two, I found in three, four, and I rewrote it in six, eight. Ah. And no one knew the difference and no one can tell because there is no difference. Right, right. You could say, oh, tempo. Well, I can, I can perform a slow six, eight and a fast three, four. Right. Um, there is no difference, and that's what I wanted to do in book three. Hmm. I wanted uh, to find a simple way, so I simply call those two chapters, looks different, sounds the same. And I have it right here. I'm showing Looks people. different, sounds the same. Mm -hmm. And, you I know, Ed Gordon had a funny word for it. He used to call them n-rhythmic notations because B-flat and A-sharp are n-harmonic notations for the same pitch, and 3, 4, and 6, 8 are just two different notations for the same rhythm. Hmm. And he called those n-rhythmic notations. You know what's so funny? I heard that a lot of times. I never put it together exactly like that's, that. <laughs> that's what it is. It's just two, it looks different, sounds so the same. So why is it notated like that? Ah, it's convention historically. Uh, and different countries, uh, uh, and instrumental. Vocal instrumental, instrumental people, when teaching instruments, think quarter notes are easier to process. Yeah. So we have all these band books and orchestra books with lots of quarter notes, ones, 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 right, ones, right, ones, right, ones, right. ones, rather than eighth notes. So okay. we learn things in three, four, because we can read quarter notes and suppose instead of six, eight, where the compound meter is complicated and how difficult would it be for a kid to understand in band compound meter. Right, right. It isn't any different. It's not confusing at all. Interesting. 
So, and, and the other, you know, the Italians favored the Saltarello in 12-8, and the English preferred 3-4, and right. the, the French preferred the compound meters, and the Germans preferred the, the straight meters of 3-4. That's and fascinating. And it was just a convention. I always thought there was, like, some... That's what I hear people say, like, well, it's there notated in 3-4. But it, I'm like, but you it's feel a it. You feel it, which I think is just another, you know, um, demonstration of... We don't serve notation. <laughs> you know, notation serves the musician. It should. It's what conversational soulfish is all about. I, and there's another point I like to make. You know, in history, my my favorite book, The History of Western Music by Donald J. Grout, <laughs> I think it's in chapter three. He oh, talks about <laughs> the first notations for meter signs. There were only two. It was called perfect and imperfect. Perfect was a circle because the Holy Trinity was perfect. Right. And the Holy Trinity was three. So if you saw a circle at the beginning of the notation, it meant move in threes. If it was a broken circle, it looked like a C because it was a broken circle. It was called imperfect. And that meant this music is going to move in twos. So there were only ever two meters. When music notation began, two meters, perfect and imperfect, threes and twos. And they got it right. It never needed to be more than that. We complicated it with all these various forms of doing twos and threes, which could just be performance practice. Boy, we're good at doing that. Blowing things up. Yeah, complicating things. (laughs) And and no one needs it to be that complicated. That's amazing. Okay, so now we've seen the first couple of chapters, 14, 15, I don't know that we're going through them. No, no, we don't have to go through all of them. And what comes, rest? the rest of the book is filling in the notes. So adding high T and high do and low so, low la, low T. Songs can end on la. That's going to be big in book three. And so again, I'm using Aeolian. So we'll look at a whole whole unit where we do nothing but sing songs that end on low la. And then from then on, they're interspersed. They're sprinkled in the units. Some of them will end on do and some of them will end on la uh, throughout the rest of the book. Uh, I think that's pretty much all that's in book three then. Uh, and introducing the meters, uh, the songs can end on la. The extended range. The extended or... range. And rhythmically, we do an eighth note upbeat. Um, and I think that's it. Because we do the other meters in the eighth note upbeat. Okay. Uh, someone has asked, because uh, iambic pentameter is our primary meter, why did I not do eighth note upbeat sooner? And it's a good question. And maybe after my lifetime, when somebody else takes on a new version or wants <laughs> right. to write their own version of this, mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to put in up eighth note upbeat. I even, I even said this this summer in one of my classes. If you wanted to do unit one and then do eighth note upbeat out of book three, wow, you could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could. Why not? That's a new thing. Like I was thinking sitting down with you one day, or unless you've already done this, and thinking like, what are some other... Well, Chris Powers, how she's yeah. mixed yeah, unit we've one talked and four, about that. and yeah, two, yeah. three with four. Like what, so a lot of people ask, can I do them out of order? Can I do this? And I'm like, well, I think you you can, you can, but you really should think through it. It's not hodgepodge, like I'm just no. going to pick this. And, and here's a temptation that I see, unfortunately. Rhythm's easier to teach than solfege. Sure. Right. And so teachers say, well, I'll just teach 16th notes and right. I'll teach the 8th note upbeat. And I'm going, yeah, but yeah, can but your kids sing Dorini Fasola? Right. Because you spent, and that's what I tried to do in the book. Why did, why did 8th note upbeat end up in book three? Because I did some yes. rhythms and then I did some solfege and then some right. rhythms and then some solfege. You know what it's like planning a podcast. <laughs> And it's in like that concept, for lesson planning, it shows up when I teach teachers about lesson planning, the, the importance of doing that alteration. It might have seemed not so important to someone, 
But it is important because as I'm learning these rhythms, then I'm going to reinforce those rhythms while I'm doing do re mi and do re mi. Right, you're doing so, the tonal stuff. Which is, and you continue working on those rhythms so that when you're ready after those tonal things to introduce new rhythms, these rhythms are super solid because they've been not just introduced and learned in unit one, two, and three, they were reinforced in unit four and five. Right. So by the time we get to unit six, we're ready for we're new ready rhythms. To go. Now, I've got do re mi and do re mi so learned. And we're going to continue exercising those right. while I learn four units of rhythm. Right. For four whole units of rhythm, we're reinforcing do re mi yeah. so, do re mi so, so it's do not re like mi a waste so, of do re mi so, do re mi so. Yeah. And then when I finally get to la, it's like boom. Yep. This, it's effortless learning, yep. and that's the whole point: is effortless. That's learning. my new thing this year that you said this is like effortless. effortless. Am I doing effortful teaching? You know, which often I am. And I say, we it might be stop. effortful on the teacher's side. Yes. I don't care if it's effort for the teacher. <laughs> no, I no. want it to be effortless for the student. No, what I mean is, uh, to me, when I'm talking about like the 12 steps, I say, if you're having to explain something to the kids over and over again, mm, you've gone. You're doing something wrong. And you are, it's effortful teaching. So if I say, no, 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 guys. You know, this is not how, remember this? It's like, you know, instead of explaining it, why don't we go backwards well, yeah, and remediate? Okay, so if you're still confused, I'll lay it out again because it is a lot. When all is said and done, there will be four levels, which you'll hear me refer to also as books, of conversational solfege, along with a harmony and improvisation book that will serve as a kind of companion book to CS levels three and four. At this point, levels or books one, two, and three, or purple, orange, and yellow are available at GIA right now. In the near future, level four, as well as the harmony and improvisation book will be available as well. If you're interested in learning more about conversational solfege, I cannot encourage you enough, especially when it comes to conversational solfege, to take a FAME certification course. Keep an eye open as a ton of courses are offered by John and the FAME teacher trainers this spring and summer. Until you are able to, there are a couple fantastic resources. Dr. Feyerabend has a streaming and DVD series called Conversational Solfege Explained that is a fantastic series of his lectures about CS. The Feyerabend Fundamentals book has some great chapters that describe what conversational solfege is, as well as how to best employ them in your program, even in the choral setting and the instrumental setting. Of course, you can listen to previous podcasts, particularly the ones from the very beginning of season one, where John talks about what conversational solfege is. And don't forget to join FAME, because there are a lot of resources there, and I invite you to become a part of the conversation on our Fire Robin Fundamentals Facebook page for even more ideas and support. This podcast is supported by the Feyerabend Association for Music Education and edited by the wonderful Jeremy Strong. If you want to learn more about fame or Dr. Feyerabend's work, please head over to feyerabendmusic.org. Thank you for spending your time here. I know there is precious little of it, so I hope we made it helpful and informative. Until next time, please keep doing all you can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world.